Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, February 26th, 2023. We've got another great show for you this week as members of the media, academia, financial services, and the government stand by to analyze all the news and events for the week. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. off the program as we always do with a look at what's happening on capitol hill in terms of le- legislation litigation regulation everything and above joining us on the line you know them as the legal eagles but we also know them fondly as david levine kevin walsh both are principals with room law group that's an employee benefits law firm based in good old washington that's my baltimore accent washington dc gentlemen great to see you thanks so, or hear you at least thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning Thank you, hon. It's good to be here. Um, sorry, that's my ball. I used to live in Baltimore, so I have to do my my Baltimore use poorly there. But uh, it's good to be with you, Jeff. Uh, and we're excited to talk about new regulatory developments today. Oh, I bet Mr. Walsh has ideas. Kevin, Kevin, I know you were you you're chomping at the bit to talk about Forum Fifty Five Hundred, and I know people are just waiting on the edge of their seats to hear the latest. I do. I mean, this has been a bit of a breaking news week uh, with the legal eagles. I think David's going to talk a little bit later about some breaking IRS guidance, but I'm going to talk a bit about a breaking uh, Department of Labor uh, final form revision. So it's a, a final regulation, but they do it by updating a form. And as you guys know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. We were speculating what could possibly be in this Form 5500 revision that's coming up. Uh, for people who may have missed the segment, just a quick, quick refresher. Form 5500, and I'm going to stop saying that because it's a tough phrase to say, uh, is the form that plans use every year to report on their financial information. Basically, it's a it's it's kind of a, a physical, like a general health checkup on a retirement plan that gets filed with the Labor Department. Um, and with the enaction of Secure 1.0, uh, there was a new type of plan created, which were pooled employer plans. And as part of that process, uh, the Department of Labor was directed to, you know, look at its forms and figure out if there's ways that, you know, Form 5500 could be better designed for pooled employer plans, um, and if there were other things that could be done to streamline the reporting process. You know, so DOL initially came out with a proposal, which, you know, had new rules for pooled employer plans. It had new rules for, had new rules for groups of plans. And what it also did, though, was it, it didn't seem to streamline things much. Now, what we've seen in the final rule is that the Department of Labor has provided some updates and responded to some of the commenters' concerns. So for groups of plans, um, the Department of Labor has made it so that you can have a group filer and then, you know, individual plans that are participating will have, you know, essentially a form DCG, which is, you know, they're calling groups of plans um, defined contribution group reporting arrangements. So DCG comes from that. Um the form GCG, essentially each plan will provide um, information about their participant pool. Um, additionally, each plan will be required to have its own audit statement unless that plan has fewer than 100 participants. Now, here's an area where DOL provided some help. Um, you know, 
prior to now, in terms of figuring out if you had fewer than 100 participants, you were looking at the pool of eligible participants. Uh, now, with Secure 2.0 and this new form uh, update, in terms of counting participants, you only have to count participants who have an account balance at the beginning of the year. Um, so that's that's helpful, although in other ways, it led to more reporting. Pooled employer plans. Now, this is a, a new concept in some ways. We've had maps for a long time, and the idea is that you have multiple employers who are contributing to the same plan. Secure 2.0 created that new style of map called a PEP, a pooled employer plan. Um, and as part of that, DOL had to modify Form 5500 to create essentially a reporting system for these new plans. Um, what they've done is, you know, essentially it's going to be file on a consolidated basis, a report for the plan as a whole. Um, and then when we, then there's a new schedule, which is Schedule MEP or Schedule MEP. And that form is essentially designed to make it so that each individual employer who's participating is listed and provide information. And DOL explains this as what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it so that if you're a participant in a uh, PEP and you're not really sure what PEP you're a part of, you'll be able to find your employer uh, and then look at the reporting there. So, you know, these new forms, they, they go into effect for plan years beginning on or after January 1, 2023. So the next time uh, when this plan year ends, we'll be using a new form. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a little bit better than the proposal, but it is going to be more work. Uh, David, do you have any comments on the, the form, the new forms, or do you want to pivot right into the IRS guidance? Well, I thought that was really good, Kevin. I, I think the, the key here is I think there are improvements, as Kevin says, but I also do think there are challenges. The form uh, DCG, Defined Contribution Groups, still, still requires a lot of work, a lot of information. The DOL highlights for the so-called group of plans universe that, well, maybe you still want to file individual return, individual 5500s. It's going to be interesting to see how the reaction is. The big, the big item in here is, is also sort of the, and still the DOL still focused on like, on disclosure of fees and expenses and investments. Not all of it's here. There's more to discuss, but that's something to keep in mind. I am in a pivot. Uh, to IRS guidance, just out literally before we're recording this. The IRS has issued, I believe it's proposed guidance, it's that new, I just read it quickly, about the use of forfeitures and the timing of the use of forfeitures in defined contribution plans. Why is that relevant? Well, obviously, employers will often try to use up forfeitures in plans, but sometimes through inadvertent reasons or just because of dynamics, forfeitures might hang around for a little while. And and the IRS had put out an informal newsletter over a decade ago where they said, you really should use them up. And auditors have raised that question. There's been positions as to why it works or not. But the IRS would make it pretty much that you need to start using those forfeitures up within like 12 months. That raises some real questions. It can get very weedy. But for those of you who are running forfeiture balances, uh, time may be up on, on sort of carrying over some of those balances. So I think it's good to watch this. It's early. It's proposed, I believe. But it's something to watch at this point. And David, this is something I, as when I was a retirement plan advisor, investment consultant, whatever you want to call it, this is something that came up time and time again uh, around, uh, you know, what do we do with the forfeiture money? Can we use it to offset, you know, profit sharing contribution, employer contribution? Can we return it? You know, what, what do we, you know, what do we do with it? And and that along with the um you know the uh what do they call it the the credit balance that that uh, the revenue sharing account i mean 
the, these are it, it seems like the Department of Labor and the IRS are really looking at these things to try to continue to refine and improve our retirement system. Yeah, that, I don't even know. What to say I was that, 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 that question. Maybe that was just a, a stupid question, but I mean, no, I, it's, I, not a, it's not a stupid. It question. was a or a dumb I comment. I don't have a specific comment on it. My simple response is, Jeff, you make good points. Oh well, thank you. And and Kevin, last question for you, and then I'll let you gentlemen go to enjoy the rest of your uh, week. Um, when, it, <laughs> when I'm still laughing at the at the reaction, but the four fifty five hundred, Kevin, what do I need to do to become educated about this form? I mean. Um, if I'm a plan sponsor, if I'm someone who's going to be completing Form 5500 on behalf of a client, is there going to be some kind of education about this new Form 5500 MEP? Well, so I think the, the thing here is if you're a, a plan sponsor and you, you have to deal with Form MEP, you'll you'll probably hear about it from the the provider of the, the MEP that you participate in. Um, so, you know, Form, PEP, Form MEP isn't designed for, you know, individual – single employer plans. Um, much like if you participate with a, a group of plans and have a common filing arrangement, um, in all likelihood, you'll hear about this from the service provider that you work with on that. Um, you know, that being said, the Department of Labor does put out efforts to educate plan sponsors and, and participants. And, you know, they put out a, a, you know, a fact sheet with regard to the changes uh, for folks who are interested in that. Um, and also, I mean, you can always work with counsel to to better understand the changes in your reporting obligations. Yeah, and and, and Kevin, I'm going to pick up on that. There are some changes in the in in the form form map that really reduce some of the questions in response to comments. Some of which I know we submitted. So we do feel like there was some improvement in this process. So we're appreciative of that. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, really appreciate it. Look, forms can be sexy, and I think this is a really important topic. Uh, it's one that we always try to do on the Broadcast Retirement Network and, and particularly this Sunday show. Gentlemen, we're going to leave it there. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Enjoy the rest of your week and weekend, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Jeff, and thanks, listeners. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye, Bye. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you got to start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're going to change the way you think about money. Welcome 
to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and called Credit Repair for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. Now time to talk markets. Joining us on the line, he is the lead anchor for the TD Ameritrade Network, Oliver Rennick. Oliver, always great to talk to you. Thanks for popping by the program this Thanks, morning. Jeff. Of course. Yeah, it's always good. And the weather, well, the weather where, we are, where I am in Charlotte is beautiful. I hope it's uh, warming up a little bit in Chicago. It's beautiful but cold. Well, it'll, you'll get there. Soon we'll be talking about. <laughs> soon, we'll, soon we'll be talking about the Cubs and the White Sox. Okay, Oliver. Hey, uh, they, got, they got like a snow uh, in California, so anything's possible. Yeah, I guess at this point, that's true. Anything is possible with climate change uh, or whatever they call it these days. All right, Oliver. Let's um, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the markets. Uh, how do you see the markets? How do things unfold this week? And and what do if what do investors need to take away from it this week? This was the week in which inflation returned, uh, at least to the forefront of the conversation. It really uh, should not have been kind of in the background the way it went over the last uh, quarter or so. Uh, but this week was a very clear reminder that there's still a lot of um, pressure here on the economy coming from high, sticky inflationary prices. We got beats now uh, everywhere. We got the CPI, we got the PPI, and this week we got the core inflation PCE, which is the Fed gauge. And the market particularly is responding to this after more better-than-expected data throughout the week, including the price index and GDP, which was also fairly elevated and above expectations. So this is a pretty clear reminder that when you have a big stock market rally like we did for about five months, you have very little pushback from the Federal Reserve, a drop from 50 to 25 basis points, a recovering housing market, that all of that can significantly undo or at least slow down the progress if you call it progress, according to the Fed, of stamping out inflation over the past year. So obviously inflation's come off of those really high levels, and that was largely the macro impulse behind strength in the risk asset market since October, the recovery in housing. All of this sort of predicated on the idea, um, to some extent, not the entirety of it, and I can get into some of that, but 
most I would say of the rally was about valuation expansion again in companies uh, that don't do well when interest rates are rising. And so we got that big rally because people thought maybe interest rates would stop rising or at least plateau because inflation peaked out and the Fed can stop. And that's looking to be a little bit misplaced because Fed is probably going to have to keep slamming the brake pretty hard because um, there's now a almost reheating happening within the inflation data. The month-over-month numbers are going in the wrong direction, uh, higher than what analysts expect. And you're seeing the market respond in such a way that suggests the Fed either will have to do another 25 basis points um, in addition to what had already been priced in, and that ultimately the final destination for their interest rate will be higher than investors uh, expected over the last uh, several months. All right, Oliver. Uh that begs the question, or listening to you talk about the Fed and its reaction and the market's reaction, can the Fed go, or has the Fed gone too far? You know, I, I'm a big believer in uh, equilibrium and, and markets finding their own equilibrium. Uh, but again, uh, last week we talked about you you being possibly being the Fed chairman at some point. Um, <laughs> if you remember that, I mean, it's, it was a week ago. But in all seriousness, can the Fed or has the Fed gone too far? And and how are markets reacting to all of this? And what does this mean for like earnings season? Well, if the goal is to get inflation down below two percent, then the Fed has not gone nearly far enough. History tells us the Fed will go too far, and by intention, the Fed kills bull markets and economies by intent. Uh, that is generally its history. And um, that, by some definitions, is okay. Others might argue that it's bad. And that is sort of a very different philosophical school of thought. Um, but at this juncture, it probably is looking like the right way to go, that they need to go harder because uh, inflation is a very serious problem, and they're not fixing it. And uh, what was very interesting in the last month was that Powell chose not to accelerate his hiking program, and he chose not to address loosening financial conditions that were largely due to the stock market. Financial conditions are the loosest in a year coming into this month. Uh, that's because of the stock market rally. It's because the Fed stopped applying as much pressure. And when you already have two years of inflationary forces and you allow the economy to then loosen and uh, re-strengthen, your starting point for those prices now are the result of two years of inflationary forces. <laughs> so... Uh, you really um, are playing with fire um, when you allow a sort of petri dish of inflationary forces to fester. And uh, that is essentially what it looks like the Fed has allowed here in the last three to four months. And so they're probably going to have to start, uh, if they really mean business, to get inflation below 2%, they're going to have to uh, put something, put some more effort into it. Um, so the long answer to your question is that, Yes, they can over-tighten. They usually do, and it's usually their intent. Um, and there's a whole 
discussion to be had. It's a very fascinating one about economic cycles and whether or not we need to have the boom and the bust that we used to. The idea of being more accommodative and not having as aggressive a Fed was the idea sort of of the past post-financial crisis decade to keep the business cycle a little bit more tame without the booms and the busts. We didn't have the boom, but then during COVID, we decided to uh, dump everything we had, the entire kitchen sink of policy, and we got a giant boom. And so now we have to revert to an old process of the Fed creating a bust. All right, Oliver, I'm going to set this one up nicely for you because I know you're a huge believer in cryptocurrency. Just kidding. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm a big yeah, pointer. I, I see that in all Bunch the writing. guy. A- absolutely. All- Bangman Freed. I have posters of him on my wall. <laughs> uh, how has the crypto market, has the crypto market rebounded? Uh, I know you bring up FTX. We, you and I have talked about that. Um, we've talked about other other aspects of the crypto market. Um, Bitcoin, I think, is is up slightly, or at least it was. I was reading an article, I think, this morning from yesterday that it, it had been up. But um, is there any chance of a crypto recovery? Are we still in this crypto winter? And, and what's to make of all that? I don't think so. I don't think there's much chance of recovery. Um, but uh, it's been price action-wise. You know, I have my views on crypto, but I always just follow the price action because it's a extremely speculative vehicle it's a it's a pure uh, gamble speculative roulette wheel and you never know it's you should never underestimate people's willingness to gamble so uh, if the price action goes one way and the trends are obvious then i try to follow that with crypto and right now the price action has actually been fairly strong compared to stocks the last two weeks uh but it is breaking down a little bit on friday as we speak and generally it every piece of evidence points towards uh, crypto breaking back down again alongside stocks. Um, yeah, so uh, nothing's really changed there. Um, F- FTX's SAM uh, SBF has got more charges on them. Uh, there's a lot of questions about whether or not Binance was totally honest in the way they moved money around. Um, yeah, so nothing's really changed. So, so basically, if you were recommending, you would highly recommend the speculative. Just kidding. I'm not going to put. Don't answer that. Don't answer that question, uh, no, Oliver. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get you in trouble with compliance. I don't want to get. You know, we love having you on the show, so we don't want to do that. Don't don't <laughs> answer that. Uh, last question. Um, retail investors, um, where are they looking? How about ETFs? We don't talk any. You and I have not talked a lot of ETFs, so let's not. Let's just talk that. Let's end the segment on that. ETF flows appear to be up. Year over year, significantly, people are moving away from mutual funds yeah. to exchange traded funds. Exchange traded funds. I had a com- conversation yesterday with somebody. You know, ETFs used to be, you know, based on indices. Now there's actively managed ETFs. But where, where do you stand? Exactly. Where do you stand? And what's the ETF market look like? Because people can trade that on the TD Ameritrade platform. Of course. Well, that's the reason why flows um, basically continue to increase is because the offerings within the ETF wrapper and the vehicle of an exchange-traded fund, the offerings continue to expand. Uh, so, yeah, the um, sustained bear market um, is not going to be good for, I don't think, the passive uh, funds. So far, I've maybe been proven wrong on that a little bit. I'm not sure about the data offhand. seems like people have been pretty 
stubborn and trying to plug money back into even the index-based products to some extent, uh, but don't I don't really know the data on that, to be honest. Uh, but what I do know is that uh, the data into ETFs very clearly show that the more active ETFs are playing a huge role the past year in sustaining those flows. Yeah, it, it, it seems to be a very, very popular instrument um, and even more so now than, than perhaps mutual funds. So, Oliver, you're always a good sport oh, no. and always a good sport, always filled with uh, – full of great information and great expertise and people should certainly check out the – I'm not going to call it the Oliver Rennick Show because it's not really the Oliver Rennick Show. It's not what it's called, but the TD Ameritrade Network. Only two of them. Well, but but they're not – it's with Oliver Rennick. It's not just all about Oliver, although you you play a huge role. (laughs) You bring on some great guests, a lot of expertise there, folks. Check it out. Oliver Rennick, have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you again very soon, my friend. Goodbye, Bye. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, somebody you think we should talk to. Drop us a line, and don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website, and of course, all of our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.